I'll be honest with you, it's going to be hard for me to get through this just looking back and uh, seeing that all God has done in one year. Um, I remember sitting in a living room going, God, why have you chosen me? Because I don't want to do this. This is going to be hard. And um, I can honestly say that God has just been so faithful. 101 people have come to know Jesus since we've opened these doors. Isn't that incredible? I just got to count earlier today, there's 190 people here with us this morning. Listen, God is up to some incredible, incredible things. And I want to say this, if you're new here this morning and you came in these doors and you're wondering what in the heck are these guys doing, maybe you came in and this was just a whole new experience for you. Maybe the the worship kicked off and you weren't used to loud music or anything like that. Listen, we're about one thing here, and that is Jesus And so, no matter how broken, how devastated you came in, how lost you came in, whatever you came in here like, we want you to know that you can have an encounter with Jesus this morning. So, before we dive in to anything else, can we pray? Father, I thank you, God, for this incredible opportunity, God, to celebrate all that you've done in just a year. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for, God, when we thought that we couldn't do it, God, that you continue to come through. God, we thank you, God, that it's not up to us to build our, this church, but God, that you are building your church. God, you love this church. You love these people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we've been in a series called I Love My Church. And uh, before we jump into anything that I want to talk about this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a recap of what we talked about last week. And we talked about this. The church is simply not a building. The church is a people. So we said if a tornado came through here um, tomorrow and wiped out the Rice Theater, we would still be a church because Jesus is passionate about building his people. We also said that the church is full of perfectly imperfect people. So here's what that means. You can come in here, maybe you're addicted. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're lost. Listen, We welcome you through these doors because we truly trust that Jesus is going to have an encounter with you when you walk through here. So if you come in here broken, confused, and you'd like to make the excuse of, hey, I can't sit in these seats because I don't have it all together yet. Guess what? Welcome to the club. (laughs) You're with a bunch of us and you have a pastor who doesn't have it all together yet. Jesus is continually making us more like himself. The church is also a place where lost people can come to meet Jesus. So if you came in here this morning and you're lost, maybe you came in here this morning, as I said earlier, where you're just kind of riding the fence and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to check this church thing out because I really don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. Maybe you've read some books. Maybe you and your husband or your wife just got in an argument and you're thinking, hey, you know what, it's over. And so you're here as a last ditch effort. I want to tell you this. I don't care where you're at. There is nothing, absolutely nothing too difficult for Jesus. Also, the church is a place to grow alongside family. It's why we have this phrase all the time that simply says, welcome home. Welcome home. Maybe you grew up in just an environment that wasn't that inviting. Maybe you grew up with a dad who never hugged you or kissed you or loved you or a mom that was not there. And listen, we we have this term that we say at all of our campuses and all of our locations, and it's simply called spiritual family. And so we want you to know that when you come in and you become a part of this church, that you're not just joining a church, you're not just another name on a roster or another number, but we want you to be a part of the kingdom of God and we want you to be a part of a family. 
And last but not in the least, the church is unstoppable. The church is ultimately the hope of the world, which also means that you and I, with Jesus living inside of us, we are the hope of the world. And we said this last week that Jesus has no plan B. It's not like if the church doesn't win, the church will win. The church is the hope of the world, and ultimately you and I are the hope of the world. But I want to kind of go backwards a little bit. Um, almost, I should have preached this message first, but there was a reason I didn't. And here, here's the, what I want to talk about this morning is it is impossible to be passionate about the church if we're not first passionate about Jesus. If we're not first passionate about Jesus, it's going to be impossible to be passionate about the local church and what God wants to do here in Crowley. How many of you guys, just by a show of hands, would say this, that Crowley needs Jesus? Crowley needs Jesus. So here's what this means. You have to fall passionately in love with Jesus. Crowley needs Jesus, and you're in here not by an accident. Maybe you came in here broken, but we truly believe that God wants to heal you and that ultimately your passion, the things that God begins to ignite in your heart, that we can take that out to this city, to a city that ultimately needs Jesus. So before we can fall passionately in love with Jesus, before we can understand how we should love Jesus, we first must understand how much Jesus loves us. We must understand this. And listen, honestly, I think a lot of us have a distorted view of what love really is. We can't frame it up. We don't know what real love looks like because of maybe a family that we came from. Your family was anything but a loving environment. Or or maybe you had friends that said, hey, you know what? I will always be there with you. I'll always support you. We'll always do this journey together. And then what? Knife in the back. And it feels like maybe everywhere that you've absolutely turned that you don't understand what love is. And for many of us, because of that, we don't understand what real love is between us and Jesus. So a lot of us view the Father as maybe how we view our dad. A lot of us view Jesus maybe the way that we view a friend and how our friend treated us or how a father or a mother treated us. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is perfect. He's perfect. He does not love you like a friend loves you. He does not love you like your earthly father loves you. And maybe your earthly father loves you more than anything. But he does not love you like the heavenly father does, who he is. Scriptures say he is long-suffering. He's patient. Those are all things when I'm working with my kids, I'm not long-suffering a lot of times, and I'm not patient a lot of times. I found my one-year-old in, in our brand-new house. He had a heyday with a pencil. And you know those, those, those moments when you, as a dad, I think it's kind of like a dad moment, you know, where you're like, I can take my eyes off of him just for a moment. And the moms are usually like glued to, are you, are you watching Peter? I'm like, yeah, baby, I'm watching Peter. <laughs> yeah, I got him. And I go back in the living room, And this dude took a pencil and just had a blast. It was like Chuck E. Cheese in the living room. He went all over my walls, all over the the, the end tables, everywhere. And I was not patient. I wish I could have said that I was. I wish I could have given you an example and said that you're, hey, you know what? I was just, Peter, give me the, what do I, give me that pencil, boy. (laughs) Now, Now, here's the thing. Jesus is nothing like that. And so here's what I think a lot of us are struggling with this morning. Is maybe you're falling short somewhere. 
maybe you walked in here and you feel weak in a certain area, and maybe you feel like you can't give absolutely everything to Jesus because you feel that Jesus is up there with a gavel and he's just ready to bang you. He's just ready to smash you. He's, he, he's going to look at you and say, are you serious? You did it again? You, you're asking for forgiveness again? I, I can't believe you. I want nothing to do with you. And this is absolutely nothing like the Father. So let's, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 22, verse 36. In order to stay passionately in love with Jesus, we must understand how much Jesus loves us. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all on the law and the prophet. So, the greatest command in all of scriptures is to love Jesus. Is to love Jesus. Now, as I set up earlier, I believe that it's hard for some of us to love Jesus because we don't understand what true love really is. So let me help you out a little bit. My wife and I, um, I have known my wife for a long, long time time. This is going to sound weird. I don't want to freak you out or anything, but my wife and I started dating when she was 12 years old. Call me weird, but she was hot and I wanted her, okay? So she was 12 years old. I'm 14 and my dad had just planted the church in Jennings and I remember the first time I saw her, she actually came with her sister and I'm on stage playing bass and it's kind of like, you know those 80s movies where it's just like this pause for a moment and it's like I hit every wrong note and I was like, who's that chick and I want to meet her, okay? And I remember um, a few services go by and uh, I go to my dad and I said, listen dad, this is going to sound crazy, Um, I'm going to marry that girl. And like every father does, he's like, son, you have no idea what you're talking about. You are 14 years old. And so I had the great joy and privilege on my wedding day to be like, boom, I told you so. But here's the thing. My wife and I, so this is how it kind of all started off. So it starts off, we, we start dating. I've never kissed or touched another woman. And she was, we were like our, the first everything, okay? Um, I was sweating to like hold her hand. You're like, oh my God, I'm about to touch a girl. I've never done this before in my life. I'm about to hold her hand. And uh, so this whole entire uh, kind of journey plays out of us dating, and then there's this, this kind of weird hatch in our relationship where I go off to Bible school, and we don't talk for a while, and uh, we come back, and make a long story short, um, it, it, I was thinking about this the other day. Our first dance was by Savage Garden, Truly, Madly, Deeply, which I read the lyrics, and that is the worst song in the world. So if that was ever your first dance, that was ours, and I'm trying to blot it. And there was like one of those dances where she's like, 10 feet away, son, 10 feet away. Like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. Um, so that kind of sums up our relationship. We're in South Africa. I plan this whole thing. We get engaged in South Africa, and literally, it sounds like a story in the movies. Everything is going smooth. Everything is going great. And then what happens? We get married and we move in together. And there's this crazy thing that happens when you get married and move in together. Our love for each other didn't change, but you start to really figure each other out. He leaves his underwear on the bathroom. Are you serious? Like the dish is right by the sink. Can't you just put it in the sink? 
And we start to learn some things about each other. We discover that my wife is an introvert, and she like, I mean, an extrovert, and she likes to wake up super early in the morning, and she just buzzes out of bed around 6 p.m. or 6 a.m., and she's like, joy to the world, everything is great, and I am happy. At 6 a.m., I have slobber drooling down my face, and I am barely moving. I am unconscious. You could probably substitute me for a dead body. I am just laying there. And so we, we start to discover some things about each other. She's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. She loves to talk. I like to give one-word answers. What do you think about that, babe? Yes. <laughs> what do you want to do? No. <laughs> and so we start learning some things about each other, and here's what happens. The first two years was a lot of learning, and it was pretty difficult. But this is what we discovered, that our relationship, with, we were happy with each other when she felt like I was going out of my way, and my role was to just make her happy. And vice versa, when she was going out of her way to serve me and, and make me happy, then, then I was happy. And really, the thing that was going on is we had this skewed view of what love really was. And we live in a culture where love today is what Hollywood says it is, right? So most guys, they hate going to movies with their girlfriends. Why? Because they're like, dude, like that on the notebook, like, Girl, I ain't ever going to be that, (laughs) right? I'm never going to be able to to measure up to those things. And we have this distorted view of what love really is. And I think that distorted view ends up getting into our relationship with Jesus. But the truth is, over the past, my, my wife and I will celebrate eight years in February, we have learned so much about what true love really is. We're learning that love is not simply based on emotions. It's not simply based on how you feel or how you perform or how well you did that day. But ultimately, love is based on our commitment to one another. And though we may get out of bed some days and we're exhausted and we're tired, and the last thing that we want to do is serve and love each other, we do it because we're committed to one another. It's a word that the Hebrews would call ahava which simply, simply means this, it's a love of the will, meaning I'm not going anywhere. So this is what true love means. Listen, I have seen the ugly side of you. I have seen the messy side of you. I have seen all the things that nobody else sees, and guess what? I'm not leaving. And that is the love that the Father has for each and every one of us. This is the true definition of Ahava. I've seen the ugly side of you, and I'm staying. This is the love that God has. So when we dive into the rest of this message, this is the frame and this is the mindset that I need you to have to understand how much God actually loves you. We cannot be passionate about reaching a region. We cannot be passionate about building a great church and reaching a city if we do not madly fall in love with Jesus. And for us to be madly in love with Jesus and for us to be passionately in love with Jesus, then we first have to understand how much Jesus loves us. Um, At the beginning of the year, I had sinus surgery. Um, It was terrible. Uh, It was just awful. Um, So I have surgery and um, my face swells up and you've got stuff packed in your nose and you look terrible. And... This is ahava, like my wife served me hand and foot. Because my wife is like, if she's hurt, 
you know, she, she like just deals with it. She'll go about like, I got a splinter. I'm like, babe, I need to go on the couch and take some medicine. Like, she's like, she calls me a big baby. And it's true, I am. Like, when I get hurt, like, I'm like, scratch my head, please. <laughs> you know, like something. And, and so through this entire time of like this process of a, a three days or a week or however long it was, she just loves me and she serves me. And she has seen the worst part of me, the ugliest part of me. And this is what Ahava really is. So if our understanding of true love, the love that the Father has for us, does not have some kind of depth to it, we can't frame it up. We, we can't make sense of it. A lot of us feel like we have to perform, right? We, we feel like we have to measure up to this certain stand for Jesus to love us for who we are. We, we feel like as long as we're doing well, that Jesus loves us. As long as our week went well, and we didn't fall into any major temptation, and you know, our marriage is going well, and you didn't blow up on the kids, and your job went great, then man, Jesus just must love me. But the truth is, at your worst, at your weakest, at your darkest, Jesus still loves you. Matthew 3.17 says this, And behold... A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you understand the significance of this passage? Up until this point in Scripture, all we know, Jesus has not performed a single miracle. He has not cast out a demon. He has not multiplied fish and loaves. He has done absolutely nothing. The only thing that we know that he has done is maybe he's made a rocking chair and a table and he's been doing some carpentry skills. He's done nothing. For 30 years, he's been a carpenter. And a voice from heaven comes down and says, the God the Father approves Jesus. And he says, this is my son whom I love. He's done nothing. No miracles. No casting out demons. No healing the sick. No raising the dead. He hasn't even gotten started. And the father approves of him. He loves him. This is how the Father loves us. Listen, before you could perform, before you could prove yourself, before you can do anything to conjure up this sense of feeling of like, man, because I've performed, because I've done this, because I've built my life on this, maybe God can love me. Maybe God can approve of me. Jesus did not earn the Father's love. You know why? Because the Father first loved him. It wasn't something that he could earn. I mean, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Now, now how did he first love us? You know the verse, John 3, 16. For God, what? So loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. So before we even had an opportunity to make a mess of ourselves, before we could ever be weak, before we could ever screw it all up the father approves of us and he loves us so this is what this means your righteousness or maybe a better way to put it you at your best is never going to be adequate enough to cancel the record of debt and this is why jesus loved us first this is why jesus loved us first you're never going to be good enough to save yourself we need 
Jesus. This is the reason that I passionately love Jesus. This is the reason that I get up in the morning and I seek Jesus. This is the reason when I don't feel like doing certain things that I seek Jesus. Because he's my hope. He's my anchor. He's what I hold on to. Listen to this. Some of you need to hear this. God is not repulsed by you. He came to save you. God is not repulsed by you. He he came to love you. He, He came to save you. He's not disgusted with you. It's the whole reason that he sent his one and only son, because he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. See, John 3.17 says this, The Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. Christ has not come to condemn. He has come to set you free. He has come to give you new life. He has come to make you whole. And I'll be honest with you, at times it's still hard for me to believe this. It's still hard for me to believe that Jesus loves me exactly how I am right now sometimes. You know what, I got good weeks. And you're like, man, I'm doing great. And I'm performing well. And you feel like, man, just God, he's just in love with me today. And then when you fail, maybe you fall into temptation or you do something and you feel immediately, sometimes you have to fight this feeling, man, God's mad at me. He's frustrated with me. He's angry at me. God's not repulsed by you. He came to save you. Sometimes I still keep thinking, and this is the battle that I have to remember, is that God does not love some future version of me. He loves me right now. So the future version that you keep telling yourself that God will love me when I get there, when I read my Bible more, or when, I, when, I stop get, when I'm not addicted to pain pills anymore, or when I stop doing this, or when, when I stop sleeping around, whatever it is. And I'm not, I'm not saying all those things are good. What I'm saying is even in that, God still loves you. Even in that, God still offers a place for you to come to him. And throughout this church, this is what I, these are the conversations that I've had with people. People genuinely believe, one, before they can walk in these doors, or before they can ever stand before Jesus, that on their own, they have to clean themselves up. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, come to me just as you are, mess and all. And let Jesus do the work inside of your heart. See, we read it last week, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Man, while we were still weak, while we were still broken, God came for us. So here's the greatest challenge that you have this morning. And the greatest challenge that I have preaching this message. You can walk out of here. And say, you know what, in order for me to fall more in love with Jesus, then I have to be more disciplined. Or I've got to be more devoted. I've got to walk out of here, and I've got to read my Bible more, and I've got to pray. And all those things are good things. The greatest challenge that you have this morning is simply believing the gospel. Simply believe, could it be that we serve a God whose grace is so scandalous and so amazing That no matter where you're at, it's not about your discipline and it's not about your devotion. He says, come to me right now. 
So later at the end of this service, we're going to make that opportunity for you. You say, man, I'm in here and I just feel like God is just screaming at me right now. We'll give you an opportunity. Listen, our, our greatest hope and our greatest desire in planting this church is that hundreds of people will come to know Jesus. Hundreds of people will come to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. Listen, you can, my parents are sitting right here and listen, Honestly, this church would not exist today without my mom and dad. Would not exist. You guys have absolutely no idea how good we have it. I remember 14 years old loading up a green van and literally packing up the entire church into the back of a minivan and setting it up at the Holiday Inn while my dad would preach and the fire alarm would go off. And they definitely did not have rocking, comfortable seats like this. Listen, we've come a long way. And you know why they've pioneered? You know why they've pushed through even in difficult times? Because it's all about people coming to know Jesus. I said it last week. Every single seat in this auditorium is somebody that does not know Jesus. And listen, if we're going to change the city, which we are, if we're going to change Acadia Parish, which we are, we've got to fall madly in love with Jesus. We've got to be passionately in love with Jesus. Listen, if your marriage isn't working right now, go to Jesus. Listen, if your son or your daughter is running away and they're far from God and you've been crying out to God to save them, continue to go to Jesus. He's the hope. He's what we look to. There's no answers inside of yourself. None. You ever heard that phrase, just follow your heart? That's not true. (laughs) Just follow your heart. No, don't do that. There's no answers inside of ourselves. It's in Jesus. The only answer that we have is in the one who took your place, and that's Jesus. And we cannot get off thinking that we can set ourselves free that we can conjure up enough willpower to break free from the power and the darkness of sin. You're no match for sin. On your own, you're absolutely no match for sin. So here's what I love about Jesus. Maybe you're in here this morning. You say, you know what? This is great. But I I have so much guilt. I've got so much shame. This is what I love about the gospel. You know what he says? Give me your guilt. Give me your shame. Give me your sin. I'll I'll take it. I'll carry it. And maybe you ask the question, you know what? I've been in this place before. Uh, I've given it to Jesus. I've given him my guilt. I've given him my shame. And I feel like I'm right in the same place again. Guess what? God will still be there. He'll still love you. He'll still forgive you. He'll be long-suffering. He'll be patient with you. He loves you. He loves you. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You know what that says? I've always loved this verse. It simply says this, Zach, before you had an opportunity, 
to mess it up, I chose to love you. Before you had an opportunity to experience this thing called what? Life. I loved you. I loved you. God knew you were going to be messy. It's the whole reason he went to the cross. God knew that you weren't going to have it all together. It's the whole reason he sent his son. God knows you're going to fail. God knows you're going to be weak. He, maybe he knows that you feel dirty right now. He knows at times you're going to be drawn to wickedness and temptation. But the whole point of the cross is that there would be this perfect picture of his love in pursuit of you despite you. Here's the truth. The cross is the perfect picture of how far Jesus is willing to go to display his love for you and for me. So listen, I know you're sitting in here, and listen, we're not usually this serious, okay? We we like to have fun, and we like to do all those things, but listen, I just, my hope and my prayer celebrating a year, this is what I've been praying for for months now, is God, when we get to this point, it's not about fun and games. It's about coming to a place. God, there are people sitting in these seats this morning that don't know you. That don't know you. There's people in here that are dealing with depression and hopelessness. And they're searching for answers. Listen, if I haven't convinced you yet about how grand and how great the love of Jesus is for us, In Matthew 9, Jesus is, is, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to tell you the story. In Matthew 9, Jesus is on his way to um, heal the ruler's daughter. And scripture just says it's the ruler's daughter. We don't know who it is, but he's on his way there. And typical of Jesus, in this time when he's performing miracles and doing all these things, he would gather these huge crowds And so there's this huge crowd as Jesus is on his way to the ruler's daughter's house. It says that there is this woman in the midst. Now, interesting about this woman is she's been dealing with female issues for about 12 years now. And according to the Mosaic law, she should be isolated and condemned because she was unclean. So according to Mosaic law, she should not even be around people. She should be locked up in her own little camp, not around people. So by her being in this very crowd, she's breaking the law. But I just can't help but imagine a woman who is so desperate for healing. And maybe she's gone to absolutely every doctor that she can imagine. She's, and if it was in modern day, she has gone to WebMD over a thousand times. She has searched the internet. She has done absolutely everything she can to try and heal herself. And maybe this thought occurs to her. Maybe this Jesus has something. And maybe if I just put my hope and trust in Jesus, and maybe if I can just touch him then I'll be healed. And something crazy happens. So Jesus is walking through this crowd, and this woman is on her hands and her knees, and she just touches Jesus' garment. And it says, instantly, Jesus feels power leave him, and she's healed. And there's something interesting in Matthew 9.22 that happens. Jesus turns around. 
why would, why would Jesus turn around? But Jesus turns around. Now imagine the feeling that this woman would have instantaneously, knowing she's breaking the Mosaic law, she was unclean, she shouldn't be here, so Jesus in right should look down on her, condemn her, and send her to prison. And what does he do? Does he condemn her? Does he shame her? No, he heals her. He heals her. And so this is what you have to understand this morning. This woman is a perfect picture of the gospel. So you came in here this morning and and you're saying, man, I've been trying to figure it all out. But could it be that maybe if you had a radical encounter with Jesus this morning, then maybe that depression that you're battling right now, then maybe that marriage that is on the verge of divorce, maybe that anxiety, maybe all those things that you're struggling with could be healed by Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the hope of the world. Remind yourself daily. It's not about your performance because God first loved you. And here's what's the crazy thing about God's love is when you understand this radical, gracious, reckless love, this is what it makes you want to do. Now you want to love people. You want to love Jesus like you've never loved him before. Now you have a passion to love Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to tell your neighbors about Jesus, to build the local church. This becomes your desire. This becomes your motivation. All from the understanding that Jesus loves you. Jesus radically loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a mess. (laughs) And guess what? God still loves you. John 3.16, God so loved the world. Some of you are so paralyzed in your relationship with Jesus right now because of the fact that you don't understand the love of the Father. You're so paralyzed. Like some of you, like you want to dive all in, but you don't understand how radically Jesus loves you. Listen, it's not just a little nursery rhyme or kid's hymn that we sing. It's the truth. And if you surrender and submit your life to Jesus this morning, this is what Scripture teaches us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.